Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Oklahoma deer hunter Christian Bond. Christian continues to be successful year after year on some giant bucks. So we focus on topics surrounding barometric pressure, weather fronts, doe populations, aggressive rattling, still hunting, and much more. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief, you can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, 
fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house. You send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we've got a story coming out of Pennsylvania from Luke Hay. And he wrote, this is the story of my 2021 PA Mountain Buck. I have harvested most of my whitetails in ag fields and urban areas in southern PA. I spent the last three years getting familiar slash obsessed with mountain bucks. This podcast has provided me invaluable information and knowledge that led me to success this past season. After four straight all-day sits in my tethered phantom saddle, I had a few encounters but no shots. I knew I had to try something different for my fifth and final day. That night back at camp, I broke out my razor and shaved in the rut stash. The next morning around 9 a.m., this future 120 class eight point began to work a scrape 50 yards from me. He began to walk off in the opposite direction and I hit my grunt tube a few times with no reaction from the buck. In a last ditch effort, I hit the snort wheeze and the buck turned on a dime and walked right up the logging trail and offered me a 12 yard broadside shot. The snort wheeze is something I never thought to try until hearing so many success stories on this podcast. My first mountain buck with archery gear and I owe it all to the rut stash and the East meets West hunt podcast. Well, I, Luke, I don't think that you're giving yourself enough credit because you put in the work, you did it. I'm glad that the podcast was helpful, but that's awesome, man. You had a, a baller mustache there too. And just goes to my point, 37.2% increase in and odds of success when you're rocking the rut stash in the deer woods. Uh, awesome. So if anybody has Mountain Buck Monday story, send it in and you can check it out. So I, I posted the photos of Luke's and all the other bucks that are Mountain Buck Monday on East Meets West Hunt on Instagram and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. If you want to send in your own story, uh, shoot me an email, bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com or you could just go to eastmeetswesthunt.com and fill in the contact us form. Submit your story, you know, just a paragraph and a couple photos would be awesome. I love getting to share these with everyone. So thanks for everyone that's been sending them in. I still have a list of some. I mean, Luke sent this one back in, in April. I'm still going through the list here and uh, love being able to, to share these stories. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of the last 10 days here that I've spent in Illinois and West Virginia. I'm going to do a whole separate podcast on that later this week. That'll drop kind of a bonus episode uh, recapping that. So I'll I'll uh, have that one up uh, going forward here. But uh, just want to tell everybody, you know, we got some cold fronts coming through here. And uh, there was one this past weekend, and there's another one coming through the East Coast here uh, this coming weekend. So I hope everyone's taking advantage of it and getting some time in the deer woods. Uh, with that being said, I, I really hope you enjoy this episode where we talk about weather fronts and much more. So have a great rest of your week. All right, we're live. Christian Bond, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Hey, what's up, Bo? Good to see you again. Yeah, it is. It's uh it's been, I guess, a little over a month since I, or right around a month since I met you out in Colorado at the Total Archery Challenge event, and uh, you and I talked deer hunting for 
uh, quite a few hours, I feel like, in, inside the, the, the <laughs> yeah. circa tent. So I was talking. Yeah, we did. I was talking to your wife, Jess, and she was like, "She's like, you got to meet my husband." And uh, and I was like, "Oh, where's he at?" And then and you were coming over. She's like, "You guys." She's like, "Everything I've heard about you and what I know about my husband, like you guys will get along." And she was, she was on point. We talked deer hunting for for quite a while there. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She is. She's good at those little intros too. She's like, I don't care. Y'all guys just talk. Y'all, y'all, y'all don't need to know each other. Let's go. (laughs) So I love that for her. Yeah. Yeah. She's a very uh, personable person, easy to talk to and just like, can absolutely. uh, Yeah. Connect anybody there. So that's, that's uh, pretty awesome. So anyways, uh, Christian, I'd like for you to start out by just giving uh, the listeners a little bit of a background on who you are, you know, where you come from, um, kind of how you got into to hunting and everything, and and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, I'm born and raised in Oklahoma. Uh, I've been hunting white-tailed deer since I was 12. That's when I first harvested my uh, first buck, and it was with a gun, and immediately following the next year, um, I had a little bow craving like for archery nobody in my family archery hunted it was you know you hunted rifle season or muzzleloader season and it's a even though we're a two buck state like you get one buck on our property like i have eight brothers and sisters so there needed to be some deer to go around yeah and um my stepdad actually got introduced me into hunting uh it was more or less his hobbies slash lifestyle and farmed until I was 18. And so I kind of was raised out there on 360 acres with a really big creek in my backyard. And so it was bow fishing. Um, killed my first deer with a bow when I was 13. And so I just really liked the outdoor lifestyle. And I farmed up until I went to college, graduated college with a marketing degree. I remember um, the first day at school, in a big college i graduated with 87 students so in high school we weren't a very big school and so college was a big deal to me and teacher said 90 percent of job all jobs is marketing so i was like bingo i'm gonna get a marketing degree at least i can get like 90 percent of the work out there or something so anyways um i ended up starting my own business right out of college and started marketing and doing branding and um just a lot of kind of stuff now that you see as influencers that do. Um, I used to do that for companies, build websites, uh, do a lot of direct response, like writing, copywriting and things like that. Um, and it's kind of kept me financially stable for past 15 years now and been chasing this little hunt and fix. Um, I really, from September to January, I'm, I'm in the woods and like I, somehow make it happen every year and it's it's a nightmare on the scheduling with you know two kids a seven-year-old and a two-year-old and a wife who also enjoys hunting (laughs) so just finding that balance it's it's been tough Uh, every year is tougher but it seems like i have more tags um this year i have three mule deer tags um out of state mule deer tags and one white tail out of state one antelope out of state and so the tags kind of stacked up this year and yeah, uh, that's probably the cliff version for me of like started hunting when I was really young and just stuck to it and really uh, enjoy anything outdoors from bow fishing to 
noodling in the summer, um, hand fishing and we just, yeah, that's kind of my life is outside. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And you know, it's funny. I, with how many people I talk to on here and everything, a lot of the, the people that I talk to that I guess love to hunt or just like, like when I say love to hunt, it's it's one thing to say you love to hunt, but like really love to hunt and like are just ate up by it. They've all found jobs and careers where they've been able to w- work hunting into it quite a bit. And it sounds like, you yeah, know, it's with, almost, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and with you, with it sounds like with your marketing business, being able to kind of manage your time on how, you know, mm-hmm. you probably, I'm, I'm assuming you set up your schedule for that. Like, so how do you, do you work during, during hunting? hunting season or do you yep. just like kind of yep. adjust the hours a little bit or how does that work? Yeah. So there's been several mornings when I'd get, I mean, you service your clients, right? And so there'd be several mornings on the way. Um, I can think back to Arizona, you know, I'm usually chasing deer in January and it's, you know, 4 a.m. You're driving into a place to go hike a couple miles to get back to your spot and customer will finally get self-service and bam here's the email like need to take care of this today and so you just got to go find a high peak and get self-service and so my only catch is like i sometimes have to have self-service and when i do like i've been to alaska a couple times and obviously you're not getting self-service there but the inreach um it used to be delorme but garmin got them and those garmin inreaches are are awesome um to at least stay in touch with clients and just kind of forecast a little bit of, Hey, I'm leaving town this week. If you need anything, I have a, um, you can follow up with my, uh, secretary or you can, you know, contact me this way. And usually I haven't had any like, Hey, lost complete customer or my business from being gone, but it's, it's a lot of catch up whenever you do get back. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's those, those in reaches are awesome. I've been using one for quite a while now. And, and I think you made a good point there. Like just the communication aspect is huge. Like making sure everyone knows that, you know, they, they can't yeah. just not reach you. You know what I mean? That there's a way if there's an emergency yeah. or whatever, um, you know, a way to, to make sure that's, that's possible. I remember with, you know, even with my last job, because I would tell them whenever I'd leave work for vacation, I was like, I have zero access. I, you know, I'd say this, I might've had a little bit of access here and there, but zero access to this <laughs> yeah. or that. I, I've been um, in a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. Here's my backup contact. You can contact them for anything. I will respond when I get yeah. back, but just being clear and upfront on anything. And I mean, that works with, you know, even significant others. If uh, you're going on, you know, planning hunts, doing anything, you, clear communication makes things a whole yeah. lot better. <laughs> yeah. Well, my Jess, whenever she was, uh, our first kid, she was, let's see, I was in, she had the kid in July, Mike Brinkley. Sorry, not the kid. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> but my first daughter was in July and then in, uh, yeah, late August, early September, I was moose hunting. And so, you know, that was a quick go leave, and it was, you know, having the in reach was something super comfortable for me to be able to communicate with her and make sure everything was good back home. You know, yeah, your, your heart's always like still at home every time you're anywhere hunting. And it, it's probably one of the hardest mental games is to check out of, you know, home life and enter the kind of primitive hunting life. I, I actually drew Arizona, which is kind of a good deal, but 
the area is literally on fire. And I think like two thirds of its access is closed off entry. And so uh, thankfully I got point guard and I'm turning those tags that tag back in so I can hopefully like recoup my points instead of just dumping them all and not hunting. And then, uh, yeah, decided to just shoot up September 2nd is when season starts in Colorado and do that early archery, try to get a uh, velvet buck. I've hunted for eight years now. This will be the eighth year for a velvet mule deer and haven't gotten one yet. <laughs> this is the year. Yeah, absolutely. Every year I feel like the year. I, I did um, take my cousin with me one time on a uh, Arizona trip, and we came back with a 183-inch velvet muley, and that was super cool to like get in on that stock and catch this. Basically, it was our last drainage, and instead of like hooking it down and, and shed hunting our way out like he was wanting to do, I was like, wow, we're going up, and we're going to finish this drainage. And right at the very tip-top crevice of that drainage was that buck bedded down and he literally stood up did a 180 repositioned in his bed and bedded back down and what he did was put his back facing away from us and his head was facing to us and so that told me the wind was about to switch you know because the wind was the thermals were like kind of going up this drainage and so we were saving it for the last to try to just catch thermals on the way down and when he did that and repositioned it was telling me that we had the thermals up there and even though it was still kind of going at our back towards them when we were about a hundred yards out, uh, it never caught wind of us. And so cousin took his shoes off, goes in there and dusty slipped an arrow in at 40 yards. And the, it was his first time to really look at a good muley. I think for your listeners, like sometimes when like deer always bed with their back to the wind, they can see the, anything coming that's downwind of them. They can smell anything upwind of them. And, and that's any animal in general for survival. Um, so by this muley, seeing them switch beds, like stand up and reposition and go back down, we were able to just kind of assume, okay, he's getting ready for the thermals. He's not getting up to feed. He's just going to stay in his bed probably till an hour after dark. Who knows? And we were able to just kind of like keep the wind off to the side a little bit. That was kind of at our back at the time which was leading right up to him. And anyways, it just ended up working out flawlessly. I stayed back at a hundred yards and just watched the whole thing go down. Uh, one thing that we did do is go light and fast. So we had a rangefinder That was our optics and a bow and no phone, no water. <laughs> we were six miles in, we were drained. Like the closest that I've been to dehydrating without being dehydrated and yeah, it was a, it was a very earned effort, and we 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 got blessed with a really really good buck that we found. It was the only buck we found that morning. So to be able to tag him by the end of the day and right when the sun was setting, it was really really special. No, that's so, awesome, and and that's I mean that's there's you know even though that was mule deer hunting, that's the same exact thing as applying for whitetails uh, as far as like the bedding situations, especially when you get in some hill country areas with the thermals and the way they're bedding and all that stuff. So that's, that's, uh, totally applicable, but you know, it's yeah. funny when, when you and I were talking, um, in Colorado there, you know, you talked about hunting a lot of different species and all over. Um, 
but you know, I was, I was focused on, I, I know that, that you have a fascination with whitetails and hunting some really big yep. whitetails. And then I was, I was doing some more research on you to prepare for this. And I was looking back and I was like, man, you shoot some really big mule deer and everything else too. So it's, uh, you definitely, definitely, uh, have spent some time in, in a bunch of different areas. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Traveling has been just just you have to do it. Um, if you haven't, I would still hunt, talk to guys that are my age, um, in their mid thirties and they still haven't been out of state and they talked about, you know, I someday want to, how do I do it? And I'm like, you just start with like hunt wise is really good. Um, or, uh, on X or, um, hunt full, just kind of learn a little bit about some information out of state and go and apply for tags. And once you get a tag, try to figure it out, like just get the tag. Yeah. Once you get the tag, then, 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 then do the boots on the ground. There's nothing that's going to prepare you other than just experience. And like you, I've heard a couple of your podcasts, um, you had crispy on there and Jeff Helm and, and, um, a lot of what they are saying is exactly the experience that I've had is just, you just have to kind of do your own homework by putting boots on the ground and there's no right way, but there's a lot of learning. Yeah. So, Oh um, man, it's, it's, you're so right. Like when, like for me, it's like, I I'd said like for anything, it's like get something on the calendar or get a tag in your pocket and that forces you to figure it out. Cause you can always say someday yeah. and if you don't have something that creates an action, then you're not going to do it. Like it's just not, not going to force you right. to, to do it. Yeah. And there's public land opportunities in most every state, certain states are, you know, like Nebraska, Oklahoma doesn't have a lot nebraska doesn't have a whole lot um uh kansas doesn't have a whole whole lot but you can get into some good whitetails and stuff on some public land i've seen some of the biggest whitetails on public land um and i haven't harvested them yet i i it's it's frustrating being a public land hunter in some areas um i do hunt private for most of my whitetail and the reason is just uh, the marco polo the running around people just in and out all the time um it's just a lot of pressure where, where sometimes your, your big deer don't put up with it or they just really, really hold tight and are completely nocturnal the entire time. Um, but you do catch some slipping in November. Uh, I do have some pretty good data that probably would be helpful to your listeners on, on whitetails in general and kind of what I'm seeing around the Midwest and Oklahoma and Kansas and, um, even Texas and, and just how to, kind of hunt barometric pressures um how to hunt your does and some of that stuff if we want to chase those rabbit holes yeah man that's exactly what i want to get into so let's let's start with i mean that's another thing that i was super interested in from talking to you you're you're very data driven um and you you pay attention to the years of you know whitetail hunting that you've done so explain a little bit of that kind of break down your how how you're taking this data and what you've learned from it yeah so I, I think probably the most data that I've paid attention to or the most that I would say it's not necessarily a proven um, and that's barometric pressure. And like when the barometer hits the 30, like 30.0 pressure, if it's below that, um, my buck to doe ratio is way out of whack. I have probably seven to one um, buck to doe ratio in daylight activity and movement. And it almost is like one to one, one to two and, and a lot more daylight activity out of, out of your bucks. And if you can time that when it's on the fall and it's above 30 
and it starts to drop, say it's like 30.8 or 31.2, and it starts to drop and you see like there's a drop going on. That's the time that you want to be in the woods or on the edge of fields or out in the opening, just, just in the glass and out there with the deer. Um, you'll see a lot of activity, a lot more out of your bucks. And um, it's, it's literally one of the key variables. If I told you how much I've hunted in a state for a shooter buck in that given year, you would shake your head. I have like six years of history and I probably hunted a max of seven days total in six years and killed a deer every year. Really? Like when I went in, when I went into hunt them, mm-hmm. it's always the first time. And it's always based off of that, that barometric pressure. Yes and no. It's also based on my does. So I do have, okay. So if it's November and particularly where I hunt, it's like November 16th through the 21st. Like those are your primest days. You know, I'll always be in the woods on those days. Um, forever. Like if you're hunting whitetail, those are, those are solid days to be in the woods. Um, you can catch some early season stuff. Uh, I guess it goes down to like some, some of the moon phase, uh, full moon or not. Um, I have a little different strategies that we'll go into on how I hunt whitetails now versus how I used to, I used to tree stand hunt everything and I don't hardly anymore. Um, and I've had some of my greatest hunts on the ground. So on like if they're going to start coming into cycle into estrus or if they've already been in and they didn't get bred um then they're coming back in those 30 days uh but your does do i still have you because i think you're you're froze yeah no i can i can still hear you You froze up a little bit but i still got you okay okay um so your your does whenever they come into cycle every year, it's within 364, 365 days. So if you catch a doe, like in October 15th, we used to have a doe that would, and this is years ago. So I'm sure she's fast. Um, it was like 12 years ago. She would always come into heat on or around October 15th. And that's the October lull that people like, I'm not going to be out there and it might be 85 degrees. It might be warm, but when she's in heat, she'll have four or five bucks that are on her and she'll be roughed up and just ears torn. Just, I mean, she gets really worked over in October because every buck is just sensing her. And once, uh, once she's comes into cycle, like you'll have a lot of daylight bucks moving through some, uh, cruising just to find that hot dough. And so in October, um, it's good to start to pay attention to the barometric pressure because regardless of the, t- the temperatures, um, the moon phase, that's the one thing I found consistent is once if it's above 30 and if it drops, like it's, it's prime. And so in, in November, you get that quite a bit. Um, whenever a front starts to move in, the deer will start to hunker down or they might do a massive feed all night and try to just prep for that. And then once that weather moves in, they'll hold up pretty tight. So like you have high pressure, but you're not, ha- you're not seeing as much activity, um, as in your bucks than in your does, because on barometric pressure, I pay more attention to my bucks than my does. Um, and, and it, it kind of all bulls and turns around to like, whenever it starts to drop in November, they're on their feet and they might not be out there on the edge of the fields. It's, it's white tail a little different. Like people don't realize like you're going to hunt a property. And you're going to set your stand on the edge of the 
tree line where there's beans out here in the middle. It has to be October because they would harvest the beans around 1st of October. But you're most likely going in. If you have to walk across that field or be exposed, you're going to get busted. And when you run off deer and deer are nervous in the area, they're going to be extra cautious and most likely be nocturnal for a couple of days. Um, and so I used to have spots where I'd never hunt in the mornings. Like it's only an evening spot because, you know, like it's timber that they're going into to bed up and they're coming out to feed in the fields. Well, they feed out at night and you'll find, oh, they're bedded out in this field or they're bedding in this Johnson grass or the CRP. And it's like, well, most of those are night beds. You know, they're like elk. A lot of people will think this, this meadow looks really, really pretty to hunt elk in because there's beds everywhere. And you're thinking, dude, I'll just sit here all day and, and elk will eventually come out and it's like those are night beds like that's when they're feeding they lay down that's not when they're just like you know bedded up in the daylight yeah and so some of that stuff you have to run your checks and balances and figure out okay well if i was a deer would i be sitting out here in the middle of the day no um you know sun wind exposed to the elements exposed to predators you know they're more cautious and a lot more likely to be around a group of other deer um, and so some of that stuff where you can kind of like check off in your meadows, you can figure out, okay, well, there's activity here. It doesn't mean it's like, Hey, don't check this area. You're just going to have to figure out what time of, you know, you know, to go in and, and do your investigating. And I'd say a lot of stuff is, is just taking your time when you're going through the woods. Um, I love steel hunting. I love to go into the timber, figure winds out, um, a lot of natural landmarks and things such as like fences, ridges, uh, deer follow that stuff. Just a lot like elk and most other of your uh, critters that you hunt. And because of that, I've been able to find these pockets where there's safety corridors for me to hit the horns. And I, yeah, if you're interested, we'll get into some of that rattling horns and how to, can be effective on the ground with some horns in your hand. Well, let's, let's, uh, I, I got some stuff I want to unpack from, you said a lot there in a, in a short I amount know, of time. I just vomited off. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. But one thing I wanted to say was like for the listeners, like with a lot of them being on the East coast, like, you know, what, what you might be, what you're saying, like say with some of the beds that are in the fields or in some of those open, like feeding areas, that can be related to like oak ridges and stuff that you'll see like this big, beautiful open timber acorns drop and you'll find beds in it. You're like, Oh man, I'll hunt right here. Well, that doesn't mean that that's where they're just cause you found that bed. That's most likely a nighttime bed versus, you know, one that's, you know, has some cover involved mm-hmm. and some, you know, wind and thermal advantages and stuff to them. So it's like, and it takes a little bit of experience to be able to figure that out and see it. But like for me, I think you said it perfect. It's like, think about it. Like if I was a deer, do I feel safe being here in the daylight? You know, if, right. if, if you think probably not, then it's, they're probably not there. It's not, it doesn't Absolutely. need to be super overcomplicated. But the other thing I wanted to go back to is the barometric pressure. And you were saying something about when it goes above 30 and it goes to drop. So you're saying that mm-hmm. you like to hunt it just as it's starting to drop? Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. So after the storm has came in and right whenever that pressure switches, uh, that's, yeah, that's honestly, so like from the 15th, well, 16th, uh, to the 21st, um, I think I have four, four bucks that are, were harvested within like those 
those calendar days back to back years in the same area. And, um, and then most of my others were like the third through the eighth. So just early, early November and, and kind of middle to late November had been exceptional if you could choose dates like for work or, or whatever. And then if you have the blessing to hunt that pressure system, you yeah. know, and time it when you want, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing is, um, like it'd be a Wednesday and I'll see it switching and I'm, I'm scurrying to figure out how I'm going to finish what I'm doing that day to, to get into the woods and drive two hours and, and go and hunt. But it, it's panned off for me. Um, I've done that and you just figure it out, man. Yeah. You just figure it out. No, that's, that's, I think that's really good information. And one thing that I've noticed too, like, I don't know if it's everywhere, but I've noticed that in Pennsylvania specifically and, and Ohio is like, as you start getting later in the season, you start get the barometric pressure goes a little bit higher. So I feel, does the scale adjust for you a little bit, like depending on the time of year, like say in October, are you still looking at that 30.0 or does it like, Oh, maybe, you know, 29 and a half, or does that just kind of like your, what you go by rule? It's from? like 29. It's like 29.9. My does are way higher sightings than I ever see bucks. But as soon as it crests that 30.0 scale, I start to get to back to balance on, on what I'm seeing um, in daylight activity. So, Oh, that's, that's yeah, super interesting. It, yeah, I, I used to chase like really, really high pressure systems. So like I would, so sometimes I would uh, avoid storms so I could actually hunt. So like one part of the state, if it's a general over-the-counter tag, you have the whole state to hunt if you can find public land. And so like the northern part of the state will just be getting hit really hard with either terrible weather or something that's bad. And so rather than like sit there and battle the elements and the high pressure system, like I'll jump to where that storm just came from and it's on the drop and I'll have a lot more activity. And I'm talking like it might be a four hour to six hour drive to the other side of the state. But have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code East Meets West to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Like, yeah, I'll avoid storms. I don't 
sit there and weather the storms. So interesting. Okay, so that's what and. For the most part, so you're looking at the po- the post front, like you're looking at, you know, not really much of the, the pre front movement or the, you know, during the front, you're looking at like the post storm type uh, scenarios right. with you. That, that makes sense. Yep. And, you know, it was funny because I think it was a, it was two years ago I was hunting and it was like November 3rd. And that's like, I think our dates compared to you, like adjusted a little bit forward from like when our like peak rutting and stuff is. And when, and I was like, man, this is great. And a snowstorm came in and I'm like, I, I got to get out there. And I remember going out and it was raised that snow was coming down. And I saw one buck chasing a doe at that point. And then it was like, and that was the day I took off in the middle of the week of work and then I went back and then that next day my cameras lit up and it was like after that storm had passed and it was like the, then it was crazy and then I started really now that I'm running you know, 40 plus trail cameras and really paying attention to those like it's 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 like you, you can write it on paper it's like after that that snow comes through that next day or two after is where it's where it's the hottest versus during that storm or you know even even before it yeah, and you'll see. So a lot of times, guys will go where deer are for hunting. Like for instance, um, there'll be a lot of does. Like you might see twenty does out in this field every day, and you'll be like, "Man, I just need to get get close to those does." And eventually, a buck's going to come through and do that do his thing, and I'm going to get lucky. And and I'm kind of quite the opposite. Like if there's a whole bunch of deer out in this field, I kind of go deep and try to find where I, I'm only seeing you know three or four deer um, coming through, just so I don't have well, when you have that many more eyeballs, you have that a lot more chances of being like scented, winded. And, and honestly, I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of good bucks just come out to the middle of 20 does, um, out in fields and just like, yeah, they're not going to just beat out in the middle of daylight. Um, and so it's just kind of like, well, that's a good area for these moms and fawns if it's early season before they do their split, like everything's holding up tight we might get a visitor here in a minute. I've got my, my two year olds inside with our, our nanny. Um, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so I can hear him scratching on the door over here. Nice. So anyways, um, but whenever I've, I've found that a lot of my um, success and, and quality animals and like, uh, just, just mature deer. Yeah. Um, I've harvested deer up to nine years old. Um, and and they're they're more secluded uh, they kind of hang out with themselves and they'll find the doe that they want and they'll keep all the bucks out and if anything comes within that little zone of his pocket then he's going to show himself um but outside of that it's really hard to to go and target a bunch of does and expect a, a good buck to show up um yeah we used to have this theory whenever we were growing up is like never shoot a doe because you know, your bucks won't come around if, if there's no does. And we all know that's, that's not true. Um, now you really need to manage your does. So everything kind of, it is not competing because the worst thing for you to do is have one buck or two bucks in the area that needs to breed 20 does. And they're just coming through cycle all the time. And so you have your bucks carrying their horns until April um, because they're all jacked up on testosterone because they still have two more does that haven't been bred yet during their cycle. So they'll just keep coming into cycle. And, and then, so you'll get, you'll get fawns that are spotted in, in, you know, early September and it just makes for, 
very difficult hunting whenever the estrus cycles change and, and the breeding cycles aren't, aren't fulfilled. Um, but also you have competing for food, um, competing for, well, even does want to be bred. Um, I've rattled in several does, um, on rattling sequences in the woods. And so they're just seeking, seeking bucks just as much as bucks are seeking does. And I think that's a lot of stuff that maybe some of your listeners can take away is just really pay attention to your does, um, and your cameras, especially late season. Like I start to target my does in post season versus early season, um, to, to harvest them because I want to know what does didn't get bred. They'll always have like four or five bucks that run with them. Um, whenever you see them catch them and go come into cycle. And so like in December, late December, in early january uh well i'll have a doe that will run through with four or five bucks on it and you'll be able to identify a lot of that in your trail cameras if you have a doe all of a sudden like running through head low kind of shoulders high front legs stiff um you'll see a you know all of a sudden the line of bucks in your camera and you'll be able to take some inventory notes on that like try to find some markings on her you know if she's got a notch in her ear if she's got you know a big bald patch on her butt. Um, just some signs that like once they lose their winter coat and their summer coat comes in and then a winter coat comes back in a lot of scarring and stuff like that. It's really hard to identify, but double white patches on their throats. Um, some, some of those things do come back. And so you can kind of keep track a little, little bit of your does and based on their behavior and their attitude, you also be able to know, know which one it is. And so those are like the first to go the next season. Um, as well as, Sometimes if I get a chance early season to shoot a doe, she's got a button buck with her. That's the doe I'm going to take. Um, because your does will also not let inbreeding happen. And so every year when the rut kicks in, mom is kicking, you know, their son yeah. <laughs> out of the herd. Like we're not breeding. Yep. And so they run off, they'll run off your bucks. Um, especially if they were born by that mom. And so by shooting mom buck stays around uh, a lot longer and so you'll see him in the four and five year old time i've seen i've noticed a lot like once the year hit three um when it comes to hunting season they're pretty much turn nocturnal or they disappear off the farm until they get super old if they do get old um it seems like that three-year-old time frame is whenever they transition to to really venturing off or they'll disappear and a lot of that's because mom is running them off Interesting. Oh, that that's that's. Or, and and one of the things like that you said, like with the the doe numbers and everything, and that's one thing that you know, I, I've heard so many people, and I've talked about it on here before, but complain like where we're at in Pennsylvania, and a lot of these like Appalachian mountain areas have low deer densities. And I'm like, that's good. Like that's actually pretty good for uh, the rut activity and the health of the deer. And since our numbers have been trimmed down. We're seeing bigger mm -hmm. body size. We're seeing bigger antler size, everything, because they got more food. They have everything, all these different things there. And I was talking to uh, a taxidermist that I use, and he went through, like, he's got basically went through this whole theory on he can tell where certain bucks come from in the state depending on the, the deer densities and how many does are in the area and all those different things. And it's, it, is, it is really important to, 
to note that and and also so that yeah you're not having breeding that's going on super late and then the bucks are running themselves down and if you get a hard winter or something it, it actually can can kill them that way or just like drain their body so much that in the spring and everything when these nutrients just have to go to rebuilding their bodies versus you know building yeah antlers. yeah but i mean that's a really good point i've got a um another deal where uh i, I hunt next to a river um, on one of my particular places in a Creek. So basically three quarters of the property is covered by water, um, surrounding it. And every so often we'll get flooding in April and June. And, um, those deer really, really struggle that the area is flooded on because they, their antler growth just shrinks. Um, they, they stress out so much during those times because a lot of people don't realize, well, they can swim, they can do these things. Yeah. But they're also going to the highest ground and everything else is going to the highest ground, including your predators, um, including the coyotes. And so it's just, a, it's a lot of stress on them. Um, I don't even turkey hunt this property just because I don't want to apply the stress during their antler season. Like when their growth the most important, like I don't want to walk around the woods calling and shooting a shoddy or chasing turkeys with a bow. Um, I just stay out of that area and I do do some, some shed hunting and it's pretty in and out quick, but, um, but the stress of that, so it makes it to where you start to realize like, well, what is a management buck? You know, like you'll see these deer that will come out of velvet and, you know, they might be a, a, a tight racked eight point and somebody will think, well, that's an eight point genetic. Let's shoot it. And I've had six point genetics, eight point genetics just turn into giants like mainframe six by six, uh, six by five, um, and just really blow up the following year because you don't really know exactly how much stress the deer has had that year growing those horns to actually understand if it's genetics or if it's, you know, just the environmental factors. And, um, it's made it to where we don't really have deer that I call coals, except for when they're aged and they're going downhill and this property for whatever reason, after seven, the deer just tank hard. Um, they go downhill really, really fast. Like we've got a 10 year old deer that's probably 70 inches and he used to be a monster. Really? And yeah, just kept slipping and slipping and never see daylight. And you might shoot a really good buck before you shoot him in a, you know, one buck state. And, and you just watch him grow up. I've watched him for eight years, uh, the same deer. And he is just like a, like a paddle, spoon paddle you know a little three and then like this four point tall agard so you know it's him and just those small genetics like stick stick with them but just Shrunk super it. small like yeah. if you saw his rack you'd think he's a two-year-old um that's crazy but, yeah so, so i had another question on the weather side of things so do you when you do have say warm weather um during the the rut or you know low barometric pressure any of those things are you are you still hunting um at certain times of the year or are you just focusing on those those high priority days yeah um i'll be honest like you're going to not see deer as much sometimes in the heat, but like I've seen them in the middle of the day when it's 85, 90 degrees out. Um, so, you know, they are a wild animal and it's hard to exactly predict what they're going to do. But uh, I would say if you're doing it on an average, yeah, the cooler mornings and the cooler evenings, you're going to see more daylight activity, but I would never like say, I'm not going to see a buck at noon. Um, I'm not going to see a buck, you know, at two in the afternoon, or I'm not going to see a buck at nine o'clock. Like you don't really know. Um, 
which is kind of why I've changed my style of hunting because the deer are still going to do what they're going to do, whether it's hot or cold. Um, they just might be in the shade or in the timber or, or in the tall grass and the CRP. Um, now out in the flats, like in the sand hills and stuff like that around Nebraska, most of your stuff is always chasing shade um, or big open areas with, with uh, enough seclusion with other deer that are, you know, bedded up facing different directions that they feel a hundred percent safe and you can't get within a half a mile of them. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't necessarily, obviously I like cooler days. You don't sweat going in. You don't, you know, a lot of that stuff, which helps keep the odor down um, just for your human odor control. But I, I, I'm not a fair weather kind of guy like golf. You know, I don't, I won't golf unless it's perfect. <laughs> Period. <laughs> it's like, a, I'm not going to golf when it's raining and I'm not going to golf when it's windy, but I'll golf when it's perfect. Yeah. Um, no, I, uh, hunting, I, I, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't dictate as much as the pressure. If I were to chase one or the other, um, I would, I would hunt the barometric pressure. Most of the time, whenever you're doing that, you're going to get cooler weather. So, yeah. Um, generally your north your north winds and stuff that build up to that and yeah i think that's that's i do chase that more and and again i'm not i'm not 100 percent out east where you're where you're from I, i'm i'm curious to just like stay engaged with you just to find out more about like kind of like your behavior and and a lot of the stuff that you know dictates movement and things like that from that side of the coast but um, most of the stuff that i've hunted is literally missouri's as far east as i've been um uh, Oklahoma, Texas, everything West, uh, is kind of what I've been pulling numbers on and, and mostly around Oklahoma and Kansas. Um, I've been able to monitor that really closely. Um, yeah. just, just from, from years of experience of hunting it. Yeah. And I, and I know, I think a lot of the things that you said are very similar, even though we're in completely different geographic locations, other than the dates, I think the dates, you know, switch a little bit for mm -hmm. us as far yeah. as like you know rut dates and everything else and th those obviously switch but the barometric pressure is something that that i've definitely paid a lot of attention to over the years i know my dad's paid a lot of attention to it um and those weather fronts and learning you know kind of what i was saying there post front with snow especially and also rain too um is like after the rain is done is when you start seeing those bucks freshening up the scrapes again and and doing that so those are things i i definitely focus on and i i think also one of the things like for anyone that's taken away from this is like what you're saying with like the barometric pressure it's like okay if you have you know x amount of work you need to do for your clients this week like i'm gonna work on the days that are you know don't meet those requirements and hunt on the best days like especially when you have yeah, yeah. yeah. but if you're able to hunt you're gonna hunt you're just gonna change your strategy up and like right. it, what you know what you were talking about a little bit with um now you know switching to hunting off the ground a lot which is also a really cool cool thing that that's interesting because I see it a lot in some of the states that you're not, I shouldn't say a lot, but I see a lot more of people hunting off the ground um, in some of those areas where you're at versus where we're at. But that's a style of hunting that uh, specifically my dad has been doing for years and had a lot of successes is, is being aggressive on the ground. And the way his strategy is, is like, it's usually during the rut, but not always. If it's also, if it's it just rained or it's quiet that he can kind of sneak through an area uh, in October, he'll do mm -hmm. that and kind of get in yep. those bedding areas, use it as a scouting and then also hunting. 
But and during the rut specifically, it's like, okay, I'm going to go into these, these logging cuts, basically so these thick areas that they're going to be bedding in and walk down these roads and make noise, snap branches, grunting aggressively, trying to get a deer up. And he's, I, I can't remember. I can't remember. It was like three of the last seven bucks he shot have been frontal on the ground within 10 yards. Like, cause it, they're, he's got them up and they're angry and they're that coming awesome. and they're coming at them. And, and, and you, you do a lot of uh, ground hunting. Uh, I know, um, from talking to you, rattling is a big part of, of your, um, repertoire, I guess, or your, yeah. your, your bag of yeah. tricks. So talk a little bit about your strategy of, of hunting actually. Um, yeah, so it's been probably four, this is my fourth year committing fully to it, um, where I have stands and stuff set up, and, and, and if I'm getting, you know, daylight pictures of a booner and a deer that I really want to harvest, uh, I'll, I'll go and sit that stand once or twice. You know, I'll, I'll give it a chance when the barometric pressure is perfect, whenever I really feel like, okay, this deer is going to move, and nine times out of 10, he moves in there and I either stick him or I wound him because <laughs> I'm referencing, I have a buck that I had shot two years in a row now and he's still alive. And I've shot him the first time I sat in the stand during that year and did two years in a row back to back one yard. One was 10 yards in a ground blind. And I mean, he's eye level. And I just, I caught that front shoulder and, and, um, all kinds of hunters mistakes in that. And even though I've, I've killed a lot of white pills with my bow, uh, a 10 yard broadside shot is a slam dunk. And I think you've referenced it. And a lot of the guys that you've interviewed, just, you had their spot picked out on the wall. You had this, yep. let that shoulder turn. You're like, Oh my God, this is going to be perfect. It's chocolate horned. I can. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, that, preliminary like measure did not work out i ended up following that deer um the first time i shot him and kicked him up a couple times and he went several thousand yards and and you always worry that they've you know been wounded and died and, and that's not the plan and not all things go according to plan and, and sure enough he survived and i found him the next year and um i slipped in last year and had the exact same kind of shot, but I was in a, a ladder stand and he came in the first time to sit a ladder stand and I stuck him and hit that stinking shoulder again. Like he, he got it, he got it back. And so I, uh, I I'm just, I, I question everything. You question your broadhead setup. You question your arrows. Um, you question the Indian, not the arrow. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, I, I ended up seeing him a couple times and, and, um, my rattling last year was improved quite a bit because I've, I've started to like compound a lot of things that I've done and just what works. And so what works for me is I don't start at daylight or I don't start before daylight. I start at daylight. So as soon as I can see, so I'm walking through woods or I'm walking an open field, I want to be able to see everything within sight. And, I don't go in in the dark. I wait until suns come up. I have a good idea of what the wind's been doing. Um, generally, wind doesn't calm down in the middle of the day. It kind of picks up from the morning. And so you can start to use that good wind to help cover and mask a lot of your uh, noise when you're moving through some of the timber. 
but I basically go in with a pretty heavy set of horns. Um, I have some that I, and they work so well for me. It's like my signature. They're like 175 inch sheds. I saw them like in some of your videos. Six by fives or something. They're pretty heavy. I mean, they're, they're legit, um, but they sound so good. Um, well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with a buddy's Hoy RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. And if you've ever heard deer fighting, which I'm assuming you've probably heard them in the woods and you've probably heard them on the edge of fields or at night. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of different sequences. And especially if you watch um, Texas hunters rattle, like you, there's a lot of questions to rattling. And my only thing that I do is I literally try to visualize deer fight. Okay. Well, when you hear a deer fight, you rarely hear their horn, um, just co constantly just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You hear like sticks breaking the grounds, like feels like it's almost shaking, like hooves hitting hard dirt, um, just crashes everywhere. And so that's how my style of rattling is. is I will, I would go into an area. I'll figure out where my wind is. I'll want it to be a crosswind if I can, because generally the deer will try to circle downwind and come in. And usually it's just out of sight, like that 80 yard ring. Um, but if I can get inside an area where I have a 20 yard visual left, right, forward, uh, that's all I need. And I have something secure behind me, like deadfall, um, a river, a creek, uh, a drainage, just something that I know the deer aren't coming from. I'll, I'll, I'll get right in front of that. A lot like elk hunting, don't stand behind the cover, stand in front of it and stand next to it. Just, you know, don't be in the bright sun. Um, be smart about like how you're going to set up. But like, well, I'm clearing my area with my feet. I have an arrow knock. Um, Matthews has their little tripod um, limbs that goes on your limb. You set your bow down. It's in the cock position like you're a gun. Your bow's ready. And I'll start clearing an area with my feet and I'll get that area completely like dirt showing, dirt exposed. And so it's quiet. Like if I need to move and I'm on my knees, I'll get down to my knees and I'll start to, 
to hit these horns. And then I'll, I'll, I'll stomp my knees, like smack my knees on the ground. I'll, I'll smack the ground. I'll just start making all kinds of like breaking noises with branches. If I'm by a dead tree, I'll break them like you rake with your, you know, calling in an elk. And it's always within five minutes. Like, I, I mean, fairly, rarely do you finish a sequence, set your horns down and grab your bow and in comes the deer. It's more like you're rattling, you're like, crap, there's, there's a buck. And then you're, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're trying to like drop, kind of put the horns down, you know, wait for him to go behind trees. They're kind of looking in your direction. They could hear the sound. There's so much cover that you don't, you're not like, you're not out in the wide open on the edge of a field where they pop out of the field and they see you um, type deal. You, there's some cover around you. And so once that deer comes in, whether he's a shooter or not, if he's not a shooter and he comes by, cruises through, looks a little nervous. And as soon as he gets out of my sight, I'm hitting the horns again. And I've got fresh deer scent in the area, a good buck scent, and I'll come in rattling one or two more bucks in. And this will kind of play on just depending on the, the deer behavior, where what's going on. And as soon as it like calms down, 10 minutes calms down, I'll let it sit. Nothing else pokes his head. I might go 20 yards. I might go a hundred yards. Depends on like, what's my next opening. As soon as I get to a next opening where I feel like I have some safety behind me, because I know where I just came from, where these bucks were, it's, I wouldn't say it's blown, but it's like, okay, I've worked, I've worn this area out. I, I know that there's nothing within that earshot distance of where I'm rattling from. And so by moving like just on the other side of the cedar tree pocket and rattling, you'll rattle in two or three more bucks. Um, and, and these numbers sound, sound kind of crazy for probably some people out, out east who like to see one or two bucks in a day i understand that but um this is a really manicured property that i've been able to manage for eight years and once you're able to not have that pressure and build that herd and watch your you know your buck to doe ratio type stuff it you really see deer be deer and true behavior of what deer are without human presence is what i really strive to like get in right in the middle of and these bucks come in grunting they'll be snort wheezing they'll have their lips hanging um and it's just the difference between one day by doing that i've rattled i don't know probably 15 different sequences in a matter of from let's say 8 8 a.m to noon so four hours and 20 25 bucks um, cow. that's insane. Different, different, different bucks, different bucks, and just moving. And it's not sitting in a tree stand waiting. Um, that's where a lot of people become impatient and just, you know, people with ADD or ADHD just can't hold still and get fidgety. It's like, well, sometimes getting on the ground and really focusing on what you're doing might make you a lot better hunter than being that, like, sit and wait kind of guy. Um, a lot of them are, like, you locate trails and, and travel corridors and pinch points and and um, you've talked to several good guys and interviewed several people that have a lot of good information on e-scouting and how to like locate those areas. But once you're in those areas and you notice like there's a lot of activity over here and I just, I just don't want to go in there because it's a staging or it's a bedding. Um, you might be able to take the horns and work it if you get the wind in your favor and just really keep some of those tips of, you know, making sure that whatever's behind you that you're rattling is a safety area for yourself so like there's an escape route or an entrance route um following a creek up and then jumping into the timber 
um, some of those things just to protect a little bit about what you got, but you don't need to see a whole open field. Um, and I think that's what probably makes me stand out from a lot of other people that rattle. Like when they rattle, they're just constantly like, you know, I can see right now where I'm at, I can see probably 500 yards in any direction. And like, I would not rattle right here. I would go into that timber about 20 or 30 yards and I'd start making my, my rattling. And so when the deer feed off in the morning from the fields, why I start, you know, after daylight is because I know that like nothing's going to come in from behind me from the field. If I just watch them all go into the timber. And so you can kind of work your way in and rattle like some bucks coming through and they'll come, they'll, they'll turn on a dime. Um, I've had, had does do that. And, um, two years or three years ago, I shot a buck called little giant. He was a mainframe six by seven. And he was only a four-year-old to be honest with you, but like nobody had in, on the lease had ever shot a deer of that caliber. And they're like, no way am I going to let this, this monster walk. Um, and the closest deer any, uh, anybody else had to, it was, uh, you know, in the mid one sixties. And so he, he was in the upper one eighties. And so it's, it, it was just hard. I just lost my earbud. Hold on one sec. <clears throat> um, it was hard to not hunt this deer and just let him, you know, get shot by somebody else on the lease. And so I, I, uh, waited one, one morning to everybody went in, they chose their spots and, and I, I went by Sonic. They open at six o'clock or six thirty, and had Sonic breakfast burrito is waited till the daylight gets up and <laughs> I go into the woods and, and my first rattle sequence, uh, this doe pops up at like 60 and I'm like crap. And so I, I know, I know she's got me pegged because she had to watch me set up. Like she's been there the whole time. And so rather than like playing the awkward quiet game, like hold still, don't move. I started hitting the horns because I knew the only thing that was going to distract her was another deer. So I started hitting the horns and in comes this buck from behind me and he starts to like get downwind of me and then boom, up pops this uh, six by seven little giant right next to her. He was bedded with her the whole time I was there rattling. And because this other buck came in, it got his attention. And so now they're starting to square off and kind of, you know, they're coming in and they're both mature, but, um, little giant, what I call him. He, he, he ended up running that buck off, got his doe, started just probably two hours. I watched after rattling, I stayed in the same spot for two hours. I watched him cord this doe and, um, breed her. And after he bred her and, and stood there broadside, just kind of like exhausted, like having to smoke. Um, I stuck him at 50 yards. So <laughs> just, yeah, it, it was, it was cool. And actually while he was doing his thing, like you're able to like micro adjust your setup and change, you know, to different trees or, or kind of do some belly crawls and little stocking. And, and, uh, my stocking game's pretty strong from hunting in Nebraska so much. I used to do, uh, do some guiding up there for mule deer. And so I, I know about the low profile, low and slow. Um, so some of those things help on getting around and being um, athletic enough to do that. So it, it just, made to where I got behind an Osage orange and this guy made a really, um, good broadside, like at 50 yards. It, it was, it was good. So it was perfect. Ended up, uh, yeah. I ended up harvesting him after just one of the funnest mornings I had in the woods, just by watching a deer be deer. 
and it was because I, I got kind of caught by a doe going in, but threw the horns up and it kind of changed the whole game. Yeah. So I, I want to, I want to add something to this because anybody that's listening, I can, I can hear it in their heads. They're like, well, that's not going to, that rattling's not going to work, you know, on, on public yeah. ground in Pennsylvania. And I've, I've heard that so many times. And, and so me personally, I haven't had a ton of luck rattling, but I don't even carry rattling antlers anymore. But listening to you is like, I did, I didn't ever put like effort really into it. I hit the horns together and that was it. My whole thing has been grunting and I've always like, I've had a lot of luck with it. And people said the same thing. Oh, you can't, you can't grunt in these pressured areas. Yes, you can. You just got to use different, just a little, okay, take, you know, take what you're saying and think about how that can apply to your area. You know, whether that's in a uh, logging cut in some thicker areas that have things, it's going to catch our attention and sounding realistic. You know, like when I'm grunting Mm -hmm. or doing anything, I, when I was stalking a a deer in New York, now it was a younger deer, but in, in last year in New York, I got in close and he kind of had spotted me as I was moving in on him on this ridge. And, uh, I just kind of like stayed still. And as soon as he put his head down, I kind of tucked behind his tree and I grunted and I started pawing the ground and just with my boot and doing that. And you could, I could just see his tail and he just started, you know, wagging it like, okay, he's calm again. And then he, and then he stepped out and I was able to shoot him. And it's like, you have to think of how to, to like, and also looking at like the, the, the deer and, and how they're reacting and all these things like that'll take learning, but like just making it as realistic as possible and you relating it to elk hunting is the same way. Like the people that are calling and raking trees yeah. and doing things and trying to sound like two bucks fighting, you know, that's exactly, yep. exactly right. Now, now I, I really want to try, uh, doing that here in Pennsylvania and trying to do a little bit more of the, the ground, you know, rattling game and see just giving it a shot i mean that to to see yeah. but it's you can't when things don't work for someone you, you gotta instead of just saying it doesn't work in my area and you've been dealt these bad cards a lot of times you got to look at okay maybe i'm just not doing this the right way i'm not sounding realistic i'm not setting up correctly you made some really good points that you you talked about briefly but like standing in front of the object because you stand behind it you're not going to get a, most likely that buck's going to go where you can't shoot. But when you're in front of a tree and you have cover behind you, that you have a lot wider field of view where you're able to shoot and uh, just pick, picking and and using your senses on when to draw and everything and when to move is, is probably extremely important. Well, if you're, I used to be this guy, like if I drew back on a doe, it didn't matter just to anchor early season and you sell your pin, you're like, okay, you know, I always touch the trigger off. So, like, I'm not a guy that just will practice free drawing on, on deer that I don't plan on shooting. <laughs> so, like, I'll do, <laughs> like, it just once that pin goes in, it's just almost like a punch. Like, it just instinct just kicks in, like, you got to shoot it. But um, I, I, I have been able to pull off several draw cycles on deer whenever they move through on young bucks and stuff that I, I'm just, like, testing the water, seeing what I can get away with, what I can't. And a lot of that is a hundred percent from experience. Um, you're reading, reading a deer's behavior, their ears, um, tell you a ton about a deer. Um, and, and you can, you can watch their demeanor and know, like, did they pick you up or did they pick some sound up or some bird or some squirrel, which most times squirrels don't even agitate them at all unless they're barking, then it'll get their attention. Um, 
but there's a lot of things that you'll notice like hedge apples will fall and just crash and there just sound like little mini bombs being dropped in the woods and in the hard timber and some of that and they won't even pick up their head but if you just tiny little step crunch with your foot on a twig it'll alert the whole group and so there's small cues and small little sounds and pitches that will really draw their attention but a lot of times i found if you're if your frontal facing a deer and it's coming into you, if you can wait for that moment for them to just like turn, look away, get behind a tree and you do your draw cycle straight and almost push the bow directly at them rather than do it like a sky draw, come down. Um, you know, it, you're literally like if on the lens, like right here looking at you, you don't see a draw cycle. Like if you were yeah. a deer 20 yards away, like it's not like you're seeing this. Um, yeah. So for any, so anyone always that's, keeping, hold on, I just wanted to, to give one point here. So anybody that's lis- listening to this, if you watch the video version, you'll see Christian doing the actual draw cycle and showing you how it lines up. I just wanted up before I yeah. forgot to put that, throw that in there. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So I always, I always almost like keep my pins around the vicinity of if I'm bow hunting where the deer is like on them the whole time. And so, um, and, and, and if they stick with me on that eye level or say they're moving left to right and I'm trying to like visual cast this, paint this picture for the people that are listening, um, if, if they're moving left to right and they say they've seen your, your chest, your frontal facing them, if you keep your body position with them the whole time they're moving, nothing changes from their view of you, like, you know, signs or nothing like that. So literally they could almost do a 360 with you and you could just kind of spin with them as long as you're not making noise, which is why I clear a lot of that debris and grass and stuff out on the ground whenever I'm doing these ground calls, um, rattling sequences and nothing changes from them. So, so, uh, there's no movement. There's nothing like that. Now, if you hold still and they cruise by you and then now you're trying to spin on them to get your go, get your bow to them, it's done. Like you're not going to be able to get that bow back and pull off that shot. They might prance and you might be able to stop a buck. Um, a lot of times, uh, based on just the mat or however you stop them will also dictate how long they're going to stick. Whitetail are pretty good at stopping mule deer, not as much. Um, but yeah, whenever, uh, I've done this. So you mentioned like different viewers will also probably, think this is a bunch of bs like it didn't work in my woods um i've heard that everywhere i go <laughs> so it's not gonna it's not gonna offend me no haters or anything like that because I, I don't care if you do it or don't i wish you didn't because you wouldn't have near the success that i did or do um and i can come and hunt those bucks but outside <laughs> of that uh, i wish that everybody would because it would change the way a lot of people would hunt. Um, I think there'd be a lot more hunters if they could stay a little more active. I think that's why elk hunting, um, mule deer hunting, and a lot of that spot and stock stuff is so like exciting right now because people just, they like to feel like they're doing the work and doing, putting in that effort to, to sneak in and outsmart that animal rather than the sit and wait game. Um, I mean, let's be real. There's some, some uh, hunting boxes around here in Oklahoma that are just as nice as a little mini hotel. Um, so there's a lot of comfort that people seek whenever they do some hunting. Yeah. But if you're, if you want to learn a lot about an animal, like get in, get into their, their domain. Um, I'm not saying like go blow up their bedding areas. Um, that's ridiculous. Like kind of understand where these deer come in and go in. 
And you learn that by like actually eyes, um, boots on the ground, not trail cameras. Uh, I have a lot of friends that tell me like, well, my deer is coming from the left. Like he, he lives over here. He's always facing that way when he feeds them. Like, yeah, it's because it's always a South wind, you idiot. Um, you know, <laughs> because like they'll come in downwind to feed. Experience. Like, yeah. It's like, well, pay attention to your winds. Like what direction this wind, like when he approaches it. And bucks, uh, when you're sitting in the sand, you watch them. I've had several bucks never even go in front of the camera. And you hear these stories all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, one or two bucks will be on that trail camera and you're like, Hey, check out this deer that came in that I passed. I, like he's a super cool up and comer or, uh, I never did get a shot of him, but he was in front of the camera for like 10 minutes. Like check it out. And you check the card and nothing, you know, you want to even have a picture of him. You're like, this is BS, but yeah. So actually getting your eyes out there and seeing what these deer do, um, how they feed out, uh, how they navigate through the timber or if they're out in the opens, um, like in the prairies or in the sage, um, try to kind of like pick up some of their, their patterns and then intercept that. And I would say that just glassing first, figuring out where they're coming in and out and then going in and intercept that with the, the rattle sequence. Um, I've done it as late as December 28th. Um, based on the idea that deer are coming back into cycle that they get bred in late November. Um, and it's, it works just as well. I have almost as much fun late December, late rut rattling and it's, it's incredible. Oh, and it's different so awesome. states. I've done it in, I've done it in the notorious Texas, um, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. So I haven't been a whole lot of places white tail hunting, but I stick to the core. Yeah. <laughs> and different, there's a lot of different terrain here in Oklahoma. You can have your deep timber. Um, it's not like your high elevation stuff, but it's still, you know, pine trees and stuff like that. And then on the west side, you'll have your flats and your more open country, sage, a lot of uh, prairie grass, um, a lot more ag fields. So you get a lot bigger deer. Uh, as far as quality of deer and, and their size, a lot more Eastern Oklahoma, you'll get smaller deer because it's just a lot more foraging, um, not near as much row crop and ag. And so the soil is a lot harder, doesn't get as much minerals and they have to really work hard to find their mineral sites to, to grow those horns. Um, but you can still find booners in Eastern Oklahoma. You can still find booners in Western Oklahoma. And it's just kind of like adapting to, what the deer are doing based on their environment that they're in. Um, you know, a lot of guys like Brandon Adams, who's had some success with decoying, like even on the bow and, and, uh, putting out decoys, uh, it's another good way to attract deer to bring them by. And, um, uh, I've done decoying. I, I'm, I don't know if it's my scent on the decoy, but I've always had one or two problems every time I ran decoys, like with other deer. And I just, I don't like educating deer. And so after trucking out a decoy and, uh, you know, hauling it and everything else and camera equipment, it, it, it's always getting left now in the truck. <laughs> yeah. So. No, that, that, that makes sense. And, and it was interesting talking to you, um, when we were discussing Oklahoma, cause like my impression of Oklahoma was just like, just flat, just open country. And Oklahoma has so many different 
you know, that might be some of it, but there's just, there's so many different parts of Oklahoma. And I want to say there's like four or five different regions essentially that we were discussing. And there's, you know, there's basically areas that look very similar to what I hunt in Pennsylvania of like, um, you know, hill country, mm-hmm. a lot of terrain, big woods, you know, thicker country. And then you have, you know, more of the open stuff. And just like, there's a lot of, a lot of different, uh, variation there, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's- it's a really, really cool state. I wouldn't say it's a sleeper state anymore. It's a lot like Kansas. It's being exposed. So a lot more, a lot of, a lot of big deer are coming, coming out of this area. And it has to do a lot with like the farming, the agriculture, a lot of, um, the Oklahoma big game fish, like we're, they're, they're doing a lot trying to, um, you know, help the populations on quotas and, and, and basically changing seasons. And, and it's, it's been good to help Oklahoma on on our whitetail i do wish that we'd go to like kansas one buck state um because everybody shoots that first buck and then they'll chase that one that they're going to put on the wall and just a lot of or they'll shoot a or they'll consider there's a management deer and and man i'd like to get in a debate with a lot of guys as long as they're not from texas (laughs) because texas runs the high fences and they really really manage their their antlers and genetics but I, i you can't change my mind telling me that a six point buck was not going to be a booter next year like i have too much evidence of that yeah so well like, you just don't know you just don't know there could be a ton of things that can change their horn growth and for you to call it a management it's it's rare and then 50 percent of the genetic of that buck is from a doe so <laughs> you got to shoot her too um <laughs> to get rid of that gene yeah that's 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 but, hilarious uh no it's 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 cool like there's there's so many different states and, and right. i was telling you I've, I've been doing some uh deer data research for uh the spartan forge app and we're i've been going through all the states and oklahoma's one i did a deep dive on and and understanding you know and not not sharing it on here but just like where all of the you know where some of the biggest deer are coming from in the state versus, you know, all yeah. the deer numbers and all these different things and, and done that for a lot of the states. And it's pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome that we, you know, the United States in general just has so many awesome places to hunt whitetails and just like, I, I'm, I'll never be yeah. satisfied as far as I'm always going to have places I want to, want to go to and check out. And that's, that's an area that's been on my list and, and as well as uh, many others, you know? <laughs> yeah. You, 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 it, I'd love to like, let's go rattle. Let's go get in the woods and try it. Um, just kind of like do a prep course with you, but more or less just have some fun yeah it's really fun i've taken a few people that um just couldn't believe it and they're like i'm never changing like i'm I'm gonna this is my style of hunting now it's a lot it's a lot more active and um again you, you do blow deer you're gonna you're gonna bump deer you're gonna do that stuff that's um probably not not up to some of the old timers that like to hunt like i've got a couple guys on my lease that they won't rattle they see my success and they don't even see the bucks that i see and they've hunted the least as long as i have and they still haven't seen the bucks that I've shot or, or wounded and they still live. And it's crazy. They just tree stand, hunt it hard, do all day sit, um, and still don't catch it. And I'm like, just come, come with me rattling. No, I, I don't want to do that. It'll change the way I'm hunting. Yep. Okay. Stuck in their ways. And you know, it's, it's, it's finding what works the, the, the best for you and being able to, you know, 
to yep. if, whatever you're confident in sticking to it and having fun. I mean, like that's what, with elk hunting, I love being able to run around the woods and I've got that way with uh, rifle hunting in Pennsylvania too. Like I don't, I don't really sit much uh, during rifle season. I like being able to sneak around ridges and still hunting and, and I uh, actually had called a buck in in 2018 that was, I'd spotted, came around this ridge and spotted a doe. Looked like she was getting bumped around in there in December. And it was so, I don't know if she came in late or what it was. And uh, I had a bleak call in my pocket and I dropped it twice. Just one of the little cans dropped it over and Buck yeah. came running up and, and, and I shot her like <laughs> 70 yards. And it's like, it's just fun to be able to do that. But like with elk hunting, I was laughing because I was like, I feel like there's some spots that if I sat in my saddle or a tree stand or whatever for six yeah. days, that I could kill a bull out of it, but I don't want to do that. Like that's not, you know, I, I yeah. already spent enough time in a tree. I want to go out and yep. I want to, I want to run around and, and hunt them that way. So it's just like finding out what fits your style and, and, and not, not be, not be so set in your, your ways that, you know, to, to try something new. And that's why I'm like, man, I want yeah, to try, yeah. I want to try rattling. Like I want to do something different and, and, uh, just, just learn and like, you know, say even if I went to an area that's not like my, you know, plan A area, if I was worried about, you know, screwing things up and just testing it, like, why not? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have, I have quite a few videos. Um, I need to post some more. Um, I get a lot of content myself and, and capture it, but I'm terrible at producing it. Uh, it, it is just like pulling teeth to me is sitting down at the computer and trying to edit and produce a video. And so, um, I have this visualization of like how I want it to look in my head and for me to get it there, it takes so long. <laughs> and so I do, I have, I have a lot, a lot of video. I started filming in 2005. Wow. Um, all of my hunts. And so, um, I've got some killer stuff and, and what led me to that was, uh, my mom and stepdad would not believe me whenever I'd come back with stories about what I, what I saw in the woods. And so I started taking a camera and video it and, and, um, I got my best like gear at 198 on camera, shot him out of the stand with a bow. And a lot of the rattling that I'm starting to do is figuring out how I can set up a camera to just show, um, a little bit more of that style. Uh, because I do think that a lot of people not only will have fun with it, but will find it very effective. And when the time's right, you're not wasting twiddling your thumbs um, in a stand when you should be on the ground um, just playing with the deer. Yeah. So, no, you, you... And you learn and you learn a lot. Uh, you learn a lot on the ground. Like when you're sneaking and still hunting, because I'm not just blowing through timber um, trying to you know get to spot A. Um I have an idea of where I want to go, but the way I set up will be, you know, you're checking your thermals the whole time. There's, you know, there's a lot of things that go into where you set up once you, wherever you go. Like I, I don't have an exact spot. I have areas like, okay, I know, I know I, this area is really safe to rattle so I can go to here, but like whenever I'm on virgin ground and I'm doing this for the first time for some of the guys that are listening to this, like when you go into an area and uh, you see a lot of like, sign from rubs, scrapes, scat, um, you know, you'll see bedding, uh, you'll see some does actually like feeding, whatever you see that's considered deer sign, which the animal you're trying to hunt, clover patches, cool pockets under timber. Like when you're moving through timber, you'll find these little cool areas where the temperature seems like it's five or six degrees cooler. Um, those are all really good areas for like bedding and staging. 
and you know that there's going to be deer around that. And so you start working your way in rather than like going in and working your way out. And so um, just when you still hunt quietly, you're never going to like completely like sneak in there without a deer knowing that you're there, but they might just be hearing you and associate that with like, okay, here's a buck fight now going on. And that's what all this little crunching was or, you know, clearing out your area, um, those things. And so you try to like picture what you're doing, paint a picture with your eyes closed of like, okay, if I'm listening to this without seeing it, does it sound like a deer? Does it sound like some bucks fighting? Um, it's not click, click, wait, click, click, wait. It's boom, the bomb's going off. You're shaking. Yeah. You're, you're just like thrashing. You're trying to not to do a whole lot of body movement, just mostly with your hands and wrists. Um, just so that way, like you don't, your profile is not so big and, and, and moving. And then, you know, set them down after like a minute of rattling and be ready. Um, if nothing comes, nothing else comes in, you can start like breaking some branches randomly and then, go back to rattling again if it still doesn't come in get up and go 50 yards go 80 yards um you know go on the other side of the tree and try it there and if those deer were working in within those 10 minutes and you're closer to them now so they're really going to pop out on you or it whenever you do move like a deer will come slipping in sometimes if they do they're not catching your wind you're not alerting them they're moving through the area and they never found what was there and you're, you're since not in an area long enough because you're not sitting there for 30 minutes to an hour. Um, so we're, you're not educating a whole lot of deer. And when you stay mobile and moving, I found it to be the most effective. Um, like I said, rattled in 25 bucks, uh, just moving through rattling sequences, walking through the timber. Um, I've done it in the open country where you're just outside of a small little cedar pocket and everything else is sage. And you rattle on top of this little ridge and then here comes deer just pop up. They start working their way in and you got to have some pretty heavy duty horns um, for the deer that I know to, to really broadcast that, that pitch or that tone out yeah. there. Um, the rattle packs and stuff like I used to do the old rat pack that you could twist um, by Primo's, I believe, yeah. or Night and Hill, they make some. And it, 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 I've had some success, but not near the success. Like, like there'd be times in the woods when I could hit those things and I never even get a deer um, to come in, I'm like, this is this is kind of crazy because sometimes whenever I tree stand hunt, I'll take those as versus a, um, my real horns. But uh, after running real horns and big horns, they're they're the only thing that go with me. Yeah, um, yeah. I leave I leave the rat pack, rattle packs, and stuff to everybody else. I had I had those black racks. You know the you know what I'm talking about. They're called the black racks. Yeah, yeah. That's what I had, and uh, yeah. I don't have them anymore. They're yeah. I, they've got to be hanging in a tree somewhere. Like I've hung them yeah. on a branch. <laughs> I, I don't know where they're at, but that's that's what I always use. But uh, yeah. as it, literally as you're saying that, I'm picturing a set of sheds that I want to use for my my rattling antlers. And, yeah, and uh, the more points, the better. The more points, the better. But eight point sheds work too. Um, yeah, sometimes you got to watch out for the eye guards. Like, yeah. they're going to smack your knuckles. And, um, if you do turn, you can get same side sheds. I sometimes would run that. And, you know, one's backwards, one's forward. So you're not you're not at all smacking your hands. And it uh, does sound like a little bit different yeah. of a rattling. Um, and the back of those on, on trees when you're raking them, just a lot like what probably some of your elk hunters would do, just thrashing trees. It really makes a difference. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. So stomping the ground, I do that a lot this year with my knees. Like when I'm sitting there and it's like, I'll sit with almost not ending position, but on, on my knees, like just sitting back yep. and, and just smacking my knees and hitting the horns on the ground and then just kind of fighting them back and forth and just act like movement and do it behind you. You do it to the side of you, just certain sounds will broadcast certain directions. And if they're within earshot, uh, I've had really good luck at bringing them in and it's pretty quick and they come in possessed whenever the, the rest on, like their eyes are so just solid black, no white in their eye at all. You can't see any white. The blood is just pumping. And, um, to be, seeing that and the fear it just it kind of changes your perspective like holy crap this is this is a real deal like they get fired up yeah no and does come in like that too does will come in really hard looking i had one doe bring in eight bucks um she came in busted me uh grant harper is another buddy of mine that i've taken into some timber and it's like the back of the tailgate this field it was the 300 acres of row crop that was just cut and it had about 15, 20 acres of timber on the backside and then a river. And I can never go in and hunt in the mornings because the deer are just, you know, going back towards the timber and they're going to work and bed down there. And so I would watch them feed off this field and then I'd follow them. And my wind's at my back and I blow these eight does out that were in the back of the field. They didn't go down into the timber yet. But it's like a, it's, if you go down there with a windicator, you'll find out once you step into that timber, the wind's opposite direction it hits like the back of the tailgate it hits and tucks and goes back out and so when you can find those type of spots oh man it's on like donkey Kong. so your wind's going back out to the field and here comes the deer it's just it's it's nuts it's really nuts in there he actually shot drew back on a buck and shot over him um drilled a tree but he had a great he had a great time he was sick i was doing some pretty silly stuff i don't i wouldn't recommend it but because i wasn't the hunter i was just having fun i was rattling for him and i put the horns on my head and i had this little knoll you know it was like where they used to like bury their trash and down there in this river bottom so it was like this little knob and it was dirt and i was on the back side of it with these horns and for your viewers that are watching they can see what i'm doing but people that aren't i'm basically taking the sheds putting them on my head acting like a deer and i'm just turning slowly and then i'll go back down behind the hill with my horns and i'll just start thrashing them and roll around on the ground and he's up here on top of the hill just shaking like a leaf <laughs> and just watching watching these these deer i mean they're within 30 yards moving through white tails and and oh, i'm not man. talking like dink. i'm not talking dink i'm saying there's some 160s you know low 170 oh my god uh, and so yeah, it's pretty pretty good size here. Yeah. Now that is something I don't recommend anybody in Pennsylvania doing is putting the antlers on their head. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, on public land during rifle season, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's yeah. so cool, man. I I love hearing those stories and and hearing your your hunting strategy there. Just like you can hear it in your voice, it like just gets you pumped up. It's just so much fun. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, it it is fun. I've been hunting since I was thirteen for whitetails with a bow, and it's not until these past few years that I've really gotten to thoroughly enjoy it. And it's mostly because uh, I got introduced to spot and stock whitetails or mule deer, and ten years ago. And so when you come back September from spot and stock, you're like, ah, it's October. I got to sit in a tree stand now. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's one way to, to to make it a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> that's so funny and I, I know that's that's the way i get more i hunt out west the more i'm like 
oh, I gotta come back and sit in a tree type of deal. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 fun. To and there are a lot up. of people. I yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I like to use my stand sometimes to also rattle from. Um, so I would rattle it, climb a stand, rattle. If you don't feel like you can get away with the movement in the area, like on the ground, get up there, rattle, and if deer come in, if they don't whatever get down go to the next stand and rattle um i have the pleasure on private to i have stands you know a few hundred yards apart in certain areas and certain areas um a lot more and so you can hit you know six or seven different stands in a couple hours time frame and i've rattled in different bucks in every one of those locations and you'll rattle them here and you can rattle them over there that are different so they hang out bucks do have their own little areas um, if you do notice the deer, uh, mostly your mature bucks, like they'll keep other deer out of the area where their home ground is. And so you got to locate that and find them. And that's helped me a lot tremendously by rattling. Nice. No, that's awesome. So, man. And, and, uh, uh, what was I going to say? How do you, last, last question I'm going to have for you is how do you make it sound realistic out of the tree then? Like, you know, where you're doing some of the stomping and stuff, is there, uh, you really, you, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't have the answer. So, I, so, uh, uh, Bomar, I heard he, um, he takes three horns to the woods and ties it to a rope and will bounce it on the ground. Right. Okay. Um, uh, and and it sounds pretty decent like i would say that's probably your most realistic way to do it from from in the air yeah um but what i always so if i think the way my tree stands are set up is like my shot lanes are always on my left i'm right-handed shooter and so when my tree stands facing a certain direction i know that i'm going to be looking in my shooting direction that's where i expect the deer to pass through or come from and um, that's how my tree stands are set up so if that's the case then i rattle behind the tree like i'll put the horns on the backside of the tree and try to broadcast that backwards rather than not forwards. Because gotcha. there is a difference. There is a lot of difference between on the ground. And sometimes I've rattled on the ground, drop the horns and climb up the stand um, and try to make it up there before deer come in. <laughs> because you get that, you, you know, like I said, it's hard for a deer to sit there and go, Oh, that's bucks fighting. Whenever all I hear is just tinging noises and no crashing or no. Yeah. Uh, and if you hear good bucks fight they're they they make a lot of noise and they sometimes go on forever it's not just like hey this is a two minute sequence and now they're like standing offish um but yeah it's try to mimic that realism of the deer in the woods and i think i do have a few audio clips i don't have a ton of audio clips of deer uh fighting but i do have some and i i'm I'm curious to pull that out to to see if I mimic that now. Yeah. Um, at least somewhat, but yeah, there are, and there's little young deer. They spar differently than your big, big bucks. A uh, big buck might spar your young deer just to like get them out of their area. Um, so you'll hear a little bit of tip to tip clatter and that'll be done. Like that's not a dominant thing. That's like, Hey, we're done playing. Go on. Um, whereas your, your real fights are like, Hey, this is, this is a dominant. This is, um, this is an area I want to take. And, you know, you pay attention to that. I think with the rubs, rubs are a big indicator that there's deer in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and deer's rubs are more community. They're not like, Hey, this is a big buck. He's saying get out of my area. They're not threat. Rubs are not threats to deer. They're community. So like rub rubs mean safety. 
And so if you find a lot of rubs, just know it's like a safe travel area for those deer. And that might be a good area for you to hit the horns in. You know, I see that too. Like on my cameras, I see a lot of bucks fighting at big community scrapes that will have too. Like the big, like car hood size scrapes, multiple licking branch are used year after year. It's like that. I, I do see a lot of yeah. uh, fighting that goes on there. I was just looking at, look at when as i was reviewing some trail camera footage from last year it was like i think it was his first week october i saw some just bucks just going at it just in that that scrape right there it was pretty cool so i definitely definitely see yeah. that a lot too for sure and have you ever experienced it where you could be a hundred yards away from that spot and not know like that that's the community scrapes is like a hundred yards in from where you're actually hunting and you don't see very good deer and you're just about to check this area off and and then all of a sudden you like explore a hundred yards. Yep. Yeah. Like, Holy crap. This is their area. And then you, the whole, it's like a whole different ball game, just a hundred yards away. Yep. And I, and not to go down any rabbit hole, but that's like the way that <laughs> like when a lot of times I feel like when deer, you know, disappear, I've learned recently from clustering cameras. So like putting a bunch of cameras in a small area, that sometimes they're just not going by that. Like, or they don't like that scrape for whatever reason. There's the buck I killed opening day last year. I had seven, I think it was seven, eight cameras, something like that in this down one side of the hill and up the other. And he used like one or two trails that I had him on camera. And if I would have just went off of one or two cameras in that area, I might not even known that he was there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just good for you doing that extra work. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, not saying there that you have to do that, but it was something that I learned on sometimes if a a buck, you know, disappears or does, it doesn't always, it might mean they moved away, but it doesn't always mean that it just, maybe you got to fine tune things a little bit. Yeah. When a deer disappears on your camera, I mean, you probably talk to guys that are like this. I have a couple of guys that I'm visualizing right now of who they are, but they won't hunt if there's not a shooter on their camera. Like they literally won't go out in the woods to go hunting because they don't have a good shooter buck on their camera. And maybe that's an Oklahoma thing, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but they really, a lot of people hunt those cameras, you know, they hunt their cameras and I see it all the time. And, and, man, I, I could care less about the cameras, um, on, on actually hunting. Like I like them for, for documenting and I like them for, for doing my scouting for me and being in the woods. So I'm not pressuring that stuff, but I'm never going to dictate what I do, um, or don't do, I guess, based on the camera. Um, um man, I'm right there with you. Like that's, it's taken me a while to learn that and I've screwed up a lot of chasing cameras, chasing past data that doesn't, cause like, at least where I'm at, like it's not in the big woods or you're not really patterning a deer by like, okay, he's going to this food source three times in daylight in the evening here. It's more so like I use that historical data, like, okay, around these dates or these weather patterns, okay, he's he'll daylight or he'll work this grape or he'll do that. So I use like that almost yeah. that stuff for next year more so than than anything yeah. versus you know, what they did already. And, you know, I use cell cameras and it does like allow me, like a lot of times if I'll see, um, uh, a doe that'll, if I see a doe lay down in a scrape around the time of the rut, I'm like, she's hot. Like she's like, I need to, Oh, that's the indicator. Yeah. That's an indicator for me. That's cool. And if they're like laying there, made that observation. Yeah. I, I have seen that 
so many times. And a lot of times there'll be a buck bedded with her if she's there for a long period of time and you just might not be on the camera. I've learned that last year I had a deer like November 17th or 18th, which our archery season was actually closed at that point. If I'm getting the dates right, it had just closed in this, the biggest buck that was in the area just sat there next to that scrape that doe bedded right next to it and he was just back in the cover and he spent all day there and he would get up and at one point he bedded right in front of my camera and all you could see is his one side of his tines just like in front of it and he was just watching her uh, the the whole time so that was just something that 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 is something that's a little bit more of a real-time data but uh you know that's it's uh it's cool to to see that but you're talking about doe's trigger and earlier and as i was going through that story i was like yeah that's one of my triggers with with those yeah no that's a great i haven't even paid attention to that before or yeah. i actually noticed it i have a have you heard is, do you pee in the scrape oh yeah i do personally yeah i yeah. do do you okay. do that the very first time yeah, i don't i pee anywhere um <laughs> i don't really pee in the scrape i don't like seek out a scrape and be like oh i gotta pee right now um but yeah no I, i'll i'll I, yeah my wife so the very first time when we were dating, uh, we were checking uh, a spot, a food plot, and there's this really big open area. It looks like red ants had just mowed it out and just cleaned out anything green. And it was a, it was a really really early season scrape. It's just you know pollen, and she had to go to the bathroom. Well, and when there's grass in the summer is you know three four feet tall, like you go to the area that doesn't have grass, and so she's over there just peeing on my scrape or my scrape the deer scrape <laughs> while i'm working working this field and i see her over there and i get down and I'm like, you know you're peeing in a deer scrape and she's like, well what's a deer scrape and so going through that whole explaining yeah. it to her and then a lot of stories since then have came out like we've been married for 10 years now so um a lot of stories have come out where people have like well i i don't pee out of the tree or or i, I don't you know get my scent near scrapes and it, it, it can be a little overwhelming, but yeah, I, um, I, I just, use yeah. a forehead for, gland for most people. I, I, I just use ahead. a, I use a forehead gland scent on the licking branch and then I pee in all the scrapes. I don't use any, any sort of urine that's deer, buck, yeah. doe, any of that stuff anymore. I do that when I'm going up to the, to go set up and if I'm hunting a scrape, I'll like not walk on the trail that they kind of go to use to do it, but I'll walk over to it and like from one side I'll, I'll piss in it and then I'll go and I'll climb up my tree and, and, uh, or if I'm checking, <laughs> checking cameras, I'll make, yeah. I'll make myself go like I'll, I'll do whatever yeah. I can. I just, I, it's, it's one of those mental things for me, whether, you know, it's, it's a hundred percent helping in any way or shape or form. But I did talk to, I had Dr. Carl Miller on here before, um, who's a deer biologist and a whole bunch of other things. And he was saying yeah. that like, that's, it's not going to affect them. Like everyone thinks, you know, as far as doing that and everything right. turns and I listened to him talk about it, not me to get the actual facts, but I want to say it's like within so many minutes, it turns to ammonia anyways. And it's all the same, you know, they can't really tell the difference. So I just, yeah. I don't know. Yep. That's what I, that's what I've found to do. So I, and then I go out yeah, of the tree, I go, go through those. Yeah. yeah, I think it'd be fun to do like a little course on that of like all the the fallacies or just basically all of the things that are people have you know made up that the deer don't like and do like or can you tell this is a buck based on his poop you know it's clumped up poop that's a buck buck poop you know versus That's... little beady rabbit. 
That's a good idea. Um, or, 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 a, or a butt, a butt print um, uh, versus a doe print. Yeah, the yeah. Po- pointed toes, and, rounded does, older deer, like all those. Yeah. That would be that would and, be that, interesting. That dude claw size of hoof. Yeah, you can't. It's hard to tell the difference between a buck track and a doe track just for those people listening. Yeah, no, that's that's hilarious. But I did that. You you should go back to listen. I think it was like episode one thirty something of my podcast with Doctor Carl Miller. It's all about deer senses, and he debunks a lot of things in there. Um, that awesome. and it's yeah. it's. I mean, from forty years of watching deer and learning about them, so yeah. and reading studies, it's pretty pretty good it's been one of my most downloaded episodes it's it's a it's a pretty good one so dude yeah i think you'd enjoy it check that out but yeah for sure i've i've listened to him and seen him for years and and read a lot in the um, magazines on i I do a lot of research just through fun uh, i guess research and magazines on you know feed what you know good food sources what's going to help antler growth you know is it really the protein or is it you know so a lot of that um yeah, I'm always itching for information just to learn. Gotcha. And then conclude conclude your own little you know synopsis on it and figure out, hey, it worked for me or it didn't. Yep, and I 100%. So, Christian, where can people find uh, some more stuff from you at and, you know, and, you know, you and your wife stuff, whatever, where they can find these things, yeah. see some of the videos, give some people places to, to go after this? <laughs> yeah. So my uh, Instagram, I do some stuff. I haven't been as active over the years. Just, um, my wife is super active on her social media. She's on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, and that's Miss Jess Bond. Um, and my Instagram handle is at VaughnChristian007. See, like that's how much I get yeah. on there. I guess I don't really know. It. But yeah, yeah. So... Um, and then I had a, a hunting show, uh, the Outsiders TV that we were running um, for a while. And so we have a YouTube channel that we put up, did a few videos. But we're, we're I'm going to be bringing and posting a lot more, um, just getting more interactive, a lot like what you've been doing. Yeah. Uh, just kind of step into that in, influencer um, slash like uh, role of just educating and, and bringing some of that information to anybody that wants to learn um, or at least to just share it with. So uh, at the Outsiders TV, we'll be posting some stuff on youtube um i'll put all of uh plan to put all of my uh rattling sequences all of my videos of some of the hunts and stuff um so well, i've got a lot of whitetail hunts and a lot of elk moose caribou mule deer um so yeah it's, it's mountain lion some cool stuff that uh i look forward to putting up and sharing yeah, no, man, I, I, I'd i love to see you do more of that. And I'll put in the show notes the links to those things. But uh, if I'll give you one piece of advice, and you're talking about the editing thing and how you have a way of looking at it, don't care as much about the, the quality of the editing. Like I've learned, I just put up a video. Like I have so many scouting videos that I haven't put together because I'm like, okay, I'm either going to, you know, I have a, a a video editor, Justin, that's amazing. And like, I'll have him like, but I only have a certain amount that I can, you know, a lot to pay him essentially. So right. I can only do so many. And I'm like, I don't like the way I do it. And I just put together a, a random scouting video, me and my buddy the other day, very just like raw and it's done really well. And people enjoyed, you know, watching it and doing that. And I think just putting the information out there is more important than the, the quality side of it. So that's my advice for you. 
<laughs> you didn't ask for it, but yeah. I gave it to you. <laughs> no, dude, I'm I'm glad you said that. It's like, you know, just screw it, just put it out there, and then if you need to adjust, adjust. Yeah, you can you can uh, always yeah, refine. I just need it. to. Yeah, I just started like filming in 4K and all that, and it's the rendering. I just get, I, dr- I grow impatient and just stare. At, I, I for my work, like I stare at a computer all the time. So whenever I do hunting stuff, it's like I don't want to look at that computer. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you. I need to. I need to. I for sure do. Because I think that there is some stuff that I might be able to share and, and um, moving forward, just uh, document a little bit because you don't really know what you know until you, you know, you understand what other people don't know. And so if people are asking questions and you have an answer, I think that it would be good to share that information. So I yeah. appreciate you uh, pulling me out of the, the dark and yeah. bring me into the light with an interview and be like, hey, let's. Let's expose it. Yeah, and now now this is going out there, and everyone's gonna be like, "Hey, you know what, what's going on? I want to see these videos." And and it's it's crazy, but like something as simple as a cell phone video showing something like it doesn't always mean like what the hardest part for me with putting out information was like, okay, yeah, this works for me, but I'm not saying this is necessarily right. But it's like just share it, and you know, people can take it for what it is, and and if it helps, you know, one person out, then that's awesome. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, there you go. Now yeah, you got to do it. I agree, man. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, that's that's the point. You guys hold me accountable. So yeah, I was like, I got to go through with this little interview with them so I can actually like, stop talking about it and do it. Yeah. No, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I I really enjoyed. I could talk to you with you all day. Um, but I know. I, <laughs> I forget that we're doing this as a recording. So <laughs> that's good. That's the way it's like, supposed to feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't prep for it anything because i was like i'll just go off the cuff so we'll see yeah no that's that's the way i like it just to be just us talking about it and just going through stories and breaking them down so thank you so much for coming on buddy yeah but i appreciate it i really love what you're doing and um i definitely think that these podcasts are, are definitely helping so awesome Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.